Well, hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. It's Roscoe here, your host, and thank you once again, as always, for listening in. I really do appreciate it. If you have listened into an episode recently that you did like, well, please feel free to jump over to iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. It is one way that helps the podcast get into the ears of as many people as possible, and I really would appreciate it. Today's interview is with a young man who I love getting the chance to have a chat to. It's Nicholas Mills. You may have heard of Nicholas from Sandbuilt Studios and some of the other projects that he has on the go, and there are a number. Anyway, Nicholas is one of those young creative men in the industry, really going somewhere. Skilled across a number of disciplines, and just a very interesting and informed person to have a chat to about the world of golf across a number of areas. So I just figure that when I like having a chat to someone when I get the opportunity to, whether it's at a game of golf or whether it's just through meeting through mutual friends, I really think that maybe you would like to listen to them as well. And Nicholas is one of those talented and interesting young men with an opinion and an idea and a vision that I think is worth sharing. And I know that you'll enjoy hearing from Nicholas Mills. Nicholas Mills, welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast. It's great to see you sitting back there. You look very relaxed. It's uh, nighttime recording. It's great to catch up. How have you been, young man? Are you well? I'm good, Ross. How are you going? Mate, I'm going sensational. I really do appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to this chat because we caught up a little while ago, had a little hit of a golf, and uh, we've caught up a couple of times on the phone since. So I'm pretty keen to be uh, enlightened in, in your world and what you're up to. If um, And one of the things, one of the reasons why I guess I wanted to catch up with you now is on the back of one of the recent episodes with where I discussed the Lofted book release and Will Watt, who's a friend of yours and a friend of mine, talked about a group of young, talented people in Melbourne who are very much involved in influencing the face and the way that golf's perceived. And, and we talked about you. We referred, we referred to you as Millsy in, in that uh, episode as one of the contributors to Caddy Mag. And I just thought it was a great follow-on from my chat with Will to catch up with you and learn a little bit more about yourself and learn a little bit about your work in that Caddy space, but also what's keeping you busy in terms of you know your, your business in, in golf. So if I asked you, Nicholas, how would you introduce yourself? What would you say? It's uh, a good question. I, I would like to sort of try and pull myself in the bracket of a golf designer. Yep. And uh, actually, I, I really, one day I'd like to have a, a big long beard and be able to call myself a golf philosopher. Um, but until then, uh, just in the design space, I just, yeah, trying to work through many different mediums uh, to make golf more approachable more sustainable and more enjoyable we've obviously got a wide and varied range of interests in golf and i, I like that I, I i look forward to when i'm an old man sitting back and i can refer to there's nick mills the golf philosopher that's good i like it <laughs> yeah ma maybe one day I, I was trying to i was actually trying to write a um a bio for linkedin just the other day yep. and they, they, they try and they really try and make you talk about yourself, which is, uh, it's, it's, it is difficult to do. And yeah, they, they'll try and describe, you know, what, what has sort of made you who you are today 
and I try to go down the lens of the golf industry and I had to sort of think through uh, and I started, you know, playing, you know, junior golf and then went into the pathway of amateur golf and playing competitively, um, playing in events, you know, around the state and the country and then, you know, overseas and then making that swift move, you know, into sort of the pro shop life briefly, caddying. So you get to sort of see different sides of the golf and then went into sort of golf retail briefly and then I've gone into golf TV production and um, volunteered in, in other sort of golf scenes and now, you know, contributed, of course, to like Caddy Magazine, went to uni, studied landscape architecture with a focus on golf course architecture and it was kind of like, I've really like skirted around all these industries and I've got like just little pieces of it all and I'm, and I'm trying to piece it all together. So yeah, it's, it's just a bit of a, bit of a funny journey at the moment. I'm kind of in that quarter life. When, when um, did you finish your, when did you finish your landscape architecture uh, degree? So I, I finished that at the end of 2019. Yeah. right. Uh, well, yeah. So I've finished with a bachelor's I've, you know, I would like to sort of head back potentially um, in the future and, and go into sort of a master's again to just sort of continue that study and that focus on the golf aspect of it because I think there's still um, new things to learn. Now, in in knowing you, you know, over the last year or so and getting to know you reasonably well, you know, I know you're a fairly accomplished golfer and, you know, you, you play, have played across a number of courses across Melbourne. Did as a young junior golfer and then, you know, adolescent did you have to make a decision between, look, I'm not going to be a pro or I want to be a pro or, you know, because you've got a number of friends and associates that are sort of in that sort of space, you know, that were high-level amateur golfers that have made a decision to go and be a pro or whatever. Did you face that sort of decision? Yeah, it was it, it was a funny situation actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, funny you sort of um, mentioned it. It was at the time – I was sort of trying to pay my way through amateur golf um, and pay for all those events. And I, I did get some assistance from uh, the golf club I was at and through the, the district as well. Um, they sort of helped pay for some events, which was really good. But I was also cutting a fair amount at the Capital Golf Club. Um, and that was an interesting – I was at an interesting age to be cutting there because – my work colleagues were people that I looked up to in the golf scene. So they were people who had just turned professional um, from being, you know, top amateurs and, you know, they were coming back, you know, over the summer to, to try and earn some money to then head back on the tour and, and try and chase that dream. And it was quite interesting because they, you know, they would, they were able to, you know, impart some sort of wisdom of just how hard it is and how, you know, it might not be what what it's cracked up to be, and it that kind of planted that seed as to like what I want to do, like with my golf. Like I I always like back myself in. You know, I could potentially, if I you know put my head down and worked hard, I you know could have maybe made a an okay living playing golf. But I just don't think for me that's fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that sort of planted that seed of oh you know like what do I want to do you know with my golf, and I. I it just came down to I want to play nice golf courses. I want to meet, you know, people like yourself and people from around the world that are interesting to listen to and 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 just kind of go about it that way. I, I just it's just a different world and it and it just became more polarizing for me. And just yeah, I like I, I still am friendly with a lot of those those young guys that have now turned into household names, you know, yeah. in the golf world and and I'm I'm wrapped for them. Yeah. Um 
but yeah, it's just not my scene. And um, yeah, it was kind of an interesting sort of time through there when I was 17, 18 years old. Yeah. So then when did this passion for the built golf environment and the landscape architecture uh, degree, when did that sort of kick in for you? And was that epiphany? Was it an epiphany or was it a natural progression or did you, you know, I always like to hear when people get into something, did they go, right, that's it, I'm doing it, or it just transgressed into that area? Well, yeah, it was it was a bit of an epiphany because I was, I, I played around at Metro, it would have been five years, five years ago now, and um, Metro had just uh, commissioned uh, Crafter and Mogford to do a report on the course, and it was this incredible uh, it was like it would have been like 100 pages long this detailed um course outline for improvements of metropolitan and i was like wow you know like i i was just so naive you know i i actually had no idea about the architecture world um no one really introduced me into it uh, and to be honest i just yeah i was naive and i thought you know that all the courses have been built and most of the architects are you know, no longer around and there's there's no career in it really anymore. And until I found that that piece that uh, Crafter and Mogford did and, yeah, I, I noticed that they went to university and studied um, landscape architecture. I, um, I don't know if both of them did, but definitely one of them studied at RMIT and I was like, okay, this is what I have to, like, this is what I want to do. It was it just, I just was magnetised to that moment. and yeah, that sort of transpired into a few years of study and then a lot of outside study in golf course architecture, going out and playing, um, speaking to people in the industry, sort of doing some of my own work, you know, as well. It's just, yeah, it's just been, it's been awesome. And it was, it was exactly what I wanted to do and what I wanted to study. And then, yeah, it was just a really, it was a really nice moment because it, it gives you that, that gave you purpose. So, you know, when you went down the pathway of, of competitive golf and you know your heart definitely wasn't in it it's, re- it's really comforting sort of knowing that that's that's what you like to do and that's what you've always enjoyed even as a kid so yeah do you get much of a chance to you know put those learnings into practice now or how how do you take that from you know into a professional environment you know what, what are what are some of the things and i've seen some of your work uh, that you've presented in different um and you'll remind me of the name of the competition that you've entered in, in a minute, but, you know, your your drawings are absolutely phenomenal. How do you transition, you know, that university skill into a vocational sense? Well, I think from the from the way I can sort of see it now coming out of, um, yeah, the education side of things, it's you kind of have to go back and, and start from the bottom and work your way up, so... It seems like you just got to try and uh, get on a few construction jobs, get your hands dirty with, with the shovel and then maybe graduate to a rake and then then graduate to something that might be, have four wheels and move. And then that, that toy gets a bit bigger and then all of a sudden, you know, you're in the digger. And then it, it seems to a lot of the, the, the top architects, um, they, they seem to go down that pathway. Um, and I, and, um, I believe that's probably the best pathway to go about it for um, myself wanting to wanting to, wanting to be an architect. But for the time being, I'd, I probably just want to um, want to use my sort of generation Y, generation Z 
mentality and my skill set of doing some renders, doing some of those drawings. Um, yeah, bringing the technology side into golf maybe to help um, a few of those architecture firms that um, maybe need that need yeah. that input to win over jobs or stuff like that. So yeah, maybe just a, a a young person's eyes might help here and there. And yeah, I'm happy that that's. I'm happy to do that kind of work for now. It's just, yeah, you just kind of just got to be be around. You just got to get involved. I know that there's kind of a few jobs that, you know, that it could be ready to go and it's just about ready to pack up your bags and quickly go. You mentioned when it's ready. You mentioned before, you know, you enjoy meeting people from around the world. And I, I think from what I gather, it's your interest in that built environment that's introduced you, allowed you to be uh, make connections with a, a whole host of people that I find interesting and, you know, a couple of those that you introduced me to. Um, who, who have been some of the, the guys that you've really enjoyed getting to know in that golf architecture space that, you know, you, you might look up to or, you know, you might see yourself working alongside at some stage? Well, the, the, like the immediate one is Clyde Johnson, which I was able to do some work experience for in New Zealand just for a brief moment yeah. and, and just spending that short amount of time with Clyde is just so valuable. He's someone who's yeah a few years older than me and is kind of going through kind of the next stages in in that golf architecture world where people don't know him yet, but they they will soon know who Clyde is. Yeah. And um, and that's all built off the amount of hard work he does. So I I, I instantly grow great respect for people that work hard and just want to be around people that are hard workers as well. So um, Clyde is next level. So when we were working in New Zealand, you know, he was on the digger for, you know, beyond the digger for 10 hours straight. And then you'd be like, oh, we've got some light in. We might, we, let's uh, let's hit the road, drive an hour and a half uh, to this little nine hole sheep course. You know, come on, we've got no time to spare. And he would, he'd, able, he'd be able to turn, you know, an hour and a half drive into 45 minutes and my knuckles were white <laughs> and, you know, you get to the course and um, you'd run around and it'd be this beautiful light. And, you know, for me, I, I just like enjoying that environment. So I was there enjoying my golf and then he'd just be running around everywhere with the camera. Um, he's dropping his bag, playing a shot, taking a photo. Like he's shooting around everywhere, just taking it all in and then like bottles it up and then away we go back home and um, then you'll go back home and be on his computer and he'll, he'll be documenting everything. And yeah, it's just incredible that so, and he's got a really good wealth of knowledge. So Clyde Johnson's an immediate one that comes to mind. I just yeah. see Clyde's back over in Ireland now back going over to the St. Pat back to start the work on the uh, St. Patrick's links again. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, good little team there that's going. Um, yeah. Angela Moses, another, one to watch. Um, yeah, she's, she word on the street is she's a gun. Um, Moza with the dozer. Um, yeah, apparently her shaving work is some of the best going around at the moment. I haven't seen it firsthand, but I'm looking forward to, so she's also one to watch and someone that I look up to as well. Very good, mate. Uh, yeah. Two great people that you were kind enough to introduce me to and you know, they were, I love following their work and, that part of the world when you get over there to see Ballyliffin, it's a, it's a sensational part of the world. Now, mate, we talked about at the start or mentioned uh, your work with Caddy and since I released the episode discussing uh, the release of Lofted, which is a beautiful book, I've got it sitting beside me, 
I don't know if you've seen a copy yet. Uh, it's available for August 5th. Uh, if you don't have, you should get your own copy. How did the work with Caddy come about? You know, because I've had a few people ask me about contributing to Caddy uh, because Will and I discussed it. And, you know, you've contributed a couple of times to Caddy. Is that right? A couple you had Kate Wickham. Was it? No, where did you? Where yeah, did you, so. Uh, yeah, you well, tell me. First, you, you tell me. My, fir- my first one, I think, was uh, number five, I believe, yep. which was the Sandbelt edition. Uh, I think Will came across some of my work on Twitter, actually, originally, and we were just chatting away, um, not related, and I was sort of going through and, and realised you, you can contribute. And I just, I, I didn't, it's one of those things that I just sort of sit sit on for a little bit and then, yeah, thought I'd throw my hat in the ring and try and put pen to paper. And so my first piece was in that Sandbelt edition. I'm pretty sure it was volume five. And that was trying to talk about the Sandbelt and describe the Sandbelt as a style and as a genre. Yeah, it's just trying to just change people's perspectives on the way they see. And and because when we play golf courses, we like to sort of rate them and categorize them. Mm. Yeah, I was trying to give the Sandbelt a type. Yeah, so that, 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 was, that was good. That was a really nice writing piece to to get stuck in, and then yeah, Will sort of put me under his wing, and we we went we we went over to King Island, and we did some some work there, and was able to produce that in Volume Six, yeah, and also was able to interview Mike DeVries for that piece as well. So I did a couple in that, and yeah, so the latest one, what what volume are we up to? We've up to eight, volume eight. Eight, yeah. So let's let's yeah. talk about Mike DeVries there for a bit. Obviously you know, I'm assuming would have been one of, you know, the architects of golf that you would have looked up to. And here you are getting the opportunity to sit down with him and have a chat to produce a, an interview. How was that experience for you? Yeah, Mike, Mike was really nice in giving up his time. I think we recorded a couple of times actually um, because what ended up happening was we would get sidetracked <laughs> and away from, from the questions at hand um, yeah. because when I came back, I just had so many questions about sort of the the, the finer construction details, which um, just makes for pretty mundane writing. So, um, yeah, no, he was great. And I, I kind of, I wanted to sort of bring Mike's thoughts as an outsider from, you know, coming from the States, not just into Australia, but into King Island, um, which is quite a remote place. So I really wanted to get his perspective on, you know, what that would have been like. He had to bring over his family. Like there, there was, yeah, it, a lot of interesting questions came from it. It was, it was pretty, pretty good interview. And Mike's hard work on what is a pretty tough site and a very challenging site. Yeah, it's very impressive. Um, and, and Darius as well for um, putting in his work to create a, a stunning golf course. <laughs> Have you been over and played yeah. the courses on King Island? Yeah, yeah, they're sensational. I'm a massive fan of both of them and I really I really like Kate Wickham of course but I liked Ocean Dunes as well and you know sometimes people sort of push Ocean Dunes a little bit to the side but I, I like that place as well um so yeah yeah the landscape's incredible there, there is a part to Ocean Dunes that um it's actually a similar site to Ely when it goes through that sort of mm-hmm. that flat and like that flatter ground mm-hmm. um and the, the to- topography is just a, a little more just light ripples it definitely very, gave me sort of that Ely vibes for. I haven't played it. that back nine. I haven't played at Ely. I've played just down at London uh, Links from Ely, but uh, I've not been mm. to Ely. But it certainly reminded me a little bit of 
you know, that Irish links, that's, and I've talked about that before, had that sort of Irish links type feel for me. But um, yeah. So volume eight, which has just recently come out. So you did a piece there. And, uh, and Will mentioned that uh, the Yodogawa Youth Club. What's the Yodogawa Youth Club all about, mate? Yeah, well, uh, at this stage, uh, it, it's, it's not a lot, but um, it's, it's an interesting exploration. And I think hopefully it can spark um, other sort of people like myself who are interested in the future of golf course architecture and the future of design um, to you know, do pieces like what I've done in Volume 8. Um, so the Yodogawa Youth Club, uh, is a fictitious golf course designed on the river banks of Osaka. So the idea, well, it wasn't it's, it's not actually my idea. So um, that's also noted in the piece. So when I was over in Japan, I was able to come across uh, a fellow by the name of uh, Tezo Matsumoto, and Tezo owns uh, a pretty trendy golf store in in the city of Osaka, and he was one of, one of the great hosts. Um, yeah, just a, just a legend, um, and he, he was really helpful because um, Lily and I know little to no Japanese, so she he was a perfect tour guide. But not only that, we were actually able to converse about golf, and he was talking about you know this idea of bringing youths into the game of golf and how do you do it in Japan when there's such a high level of entry into the game. And it okay. posed an, an interesting question, an interesting challenge. And, you know, there's also other elements to it being Osaka being one of the most densely populated and urban cities in the world. And there's little to no green space. Um, and the, the one little bit of green space that is around is, within the flood banks of the um, Yodo River, and which is in the, right in the middle of the, um, the city of Osaka. And so there's these kind of wide floodplains that obviously fluctuate through um, the seasons, but there is a fair, fairly long period where there's enough ground plain to play golf on. So um, I kind of got inspired by Taser's idea and then tried to roll out this sort of piece about maybe a golf course that can be, you know, f- that can fluctuate with the seasons, which gives it a, a low cost um, design, which means it's cheaper. So you just have a chance of playing golf and it, it, it just, it, it's just a, it's more of a question. Um, it's of how we can create sustainable options to get people into playing golf. So, yeah, it's 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 a pretty rough piece, <laughs> but it's it's it, yeah, it's an interesting read. Um, and I did some some architecture drawings to go with it, just to sort of explain how it could be feasible. Um, yeah, and hope hopefully there could be some more similar um, pieces to come in the future. It leads me to ask, you know, I think you've already touched on it, but what's your vision for golf if in in the future? You know, you're familiar with the types of courses that you know I'm a member of and you're a member of, and you know you've seen a lot of golf built environments. When you think about golf in for the next generation, what would you be writing that letter and or that 
program, what would you what would you put in that program to say this is my vision, this is what it should look like, and this is how you can achieve it? Well, I think we've overcomplicated golf, and it's probably a less fuss approach. Um, so it'd be great if the game of golf could say no a little less. So, um, and also if we could just go back to the fact that golf is literally just whacking a white ball around a field, um, with Mm -hmm. as little fuss as possible. So it's trying to get golf back to as a primitive state as it can be, because that is when it's at its purest, um, and when it's at its purest, it's at its most sustainable, it's at its best level of enjoyment, and it can reach the greatest amount of audience, which is, I think, going to be also really important for what is a diverse sort of world that we live in. We've sort of come away from the real traditions of the game, and I listened to something recently. It might have been on the fried egg, and they were talking about the golf ball. I don't know if you listened to that series. of They did three um, podcasts on the evolution of the golf ball but it obviously talked about golf in its early days and you know if you go back to scotland and st andrews and where golf was originally played it was sheep farms you know essentially you know and and the and the mowing machines were sheep and they had fairways and greens and they planted a little bit of different grass and you can correct me if i'm wrong if you want to expand on it but it really was a, a golf in its primitive state and it was pretty. It must have been pretty enjoyable, and I think you're right. You know, we've uh, we've complicated it a little bit. Am I am yeah. I am I sounding making? Am I making sense? I can see you sitting back. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. No. Well, there's there's a lot to unpack. So uh, it clearly changed. Like it changes when that that game that started in Scotland. As um, I remember, Mike Cocking talking about how the game was sort of birthed from the way it was birthed in St Andrews was the the ships used to dock a few Ks, you know, up away from the town and they'd go through these sand dunes and they would, they would whack a stick and ball Mm -hmm. to the pub Mm -hmm. and then they'd have a drink and they'd whack a stick and ball back to the ship. And it became a a matter of doing it in the least amount of shots. I'm probably doing a horrible job at paraphrasing, but that was, that was literally kind of, it was, that was the rawness of the game. Right. And then it became, let's just say like through many iterations, it got to a stage of match play, which um, was the, like the early form of the game and also a, a pretty interesting part of golf where, the, where it wasn't you versus the course, it was two people playing a course. And then they introduced, you know, your matches like stable food and stroke and then it became an individual pursuit and an individual event where it was you then it became you versus the course and and trying to improve yourself and and there is this there is a there is a self-fulfillment in improving um yourself as a golfer but um yeah it's it was definitely it was definitely a a path that golf went down um as soon as those events stroke events tournaments stable fit events handicapping like that that pathway that was it you know golf just changed you know from from that moment on and it definitely became a, a pursuit an individual pursuit from there um so yeah it, it, it's 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 you can't undo that history and I, and I still think it's important because it that brings in a lot of um new golfers into the games so it's just 
trying to strip that back now. Mm. Um, so then, how do you how do you strip that back and and make a pathway for the future of the game moving forward? You know, like we've got these big golf courses and you know some part some nice little little golf courses that are you know essentially still public access courses. How do you how do we change it? What, what's your vision? I think the if we keep following this pathway, we keep following the professional golfers who are hitting the ball further and further. So we're needing to have courses that are bigger and bigger, which then becomes so expensive to upkeep. It becomes harder to find the land for people to golf on. Mm -hmm. And the gap between the good and the bad is just so far that they can no longer almost see themselves, you know, from the gap between the drives and then golf becomes unsustainable. So those courses can no longer be maintained the way that they need to be. Um, that the, the game then kind of, um, it, it falls into a state of entropy when it gets to that mm. length, you know, um, I could, I could even go like deeper on a philosophical sense of like, you know, how, um, the big bang is about like, you know, the universe expanding and, and contracting, yeah. you know, I think it's, it's, it's gotta be a similar move with golf where why don't we, like I'm now to a stage, you know, like rollback you brought up right at the start is where we, yep. we um, last played yep. together. Um, so the rollback obviously is trying to bring things back quickly, but I'm kind of now trying to reverse engineer this. And it's like, well, what if we just like expand this, like let's encourage Brooks Kepkers of the world that price and Duchambeau is to mm-hmm. just like, drive this this like you know future of golf and let the thing expand to the point where it just goes breaking point and then and then it contracts back in (laughs) like what if what if that's what we do like as our solution we 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 then like rid 18 whole courses because we can't like for lengthwise we can't fit 18 holes of you know the length of a course in 20 years time so why don't we just like have nine holes at championship length so like a par four is like 800 meters or something ridiculous you know and then we start to realize that like what if we just keep pushing that <laughs> what if we just keep designing that way and then yeah. and then like the golf universe goes i have time to like contract and then like we and then we, we then fall uh, upon yeah and then we go back to the point that we made before is old tom morris was onto something with uh you know seven or eight clubs uh, and an old ball just getting around a paddock that's yeah, what, that's what you're sort of, you know, suggesting that it might come back to. Yeah, and, and in like, a rel- relative, you know, you know what I mean, in a, in a modern version of that. Yeah, and, and I come across some some hidden gems of golf courses, you know, locally and overseas, and you're just like, you know, how are these viable? Well, these were viable well before I was born, Correct. and they're going to stay viable. These short little fun golf courses. Um, can you, so can you they're going to be fine, right? So it's couple, like... Can you name a couple of those that, you know, you, you might have mentioned Ely there before that? Is that an example of of something that's got a bit of age about it that isn't overly length and is attracts people from all around the world because it is what it is or not? Or is there other examples? Yeah, Ely's incredible. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to like... I'm probably more going down the path of like a, a Waverley Golf Club in New Zealand, which is okay. like yeah. a, a sheep golf course, so... Yeah. I look at the model of that club, that club can go without any golfers because 
the sheep maintain the land mm-hmm. and they pay for the greenskeeper and that's all that the that's that's all the courses overheads like mm-hmm. so they can go without golfers for for a decade you know and they'll still have a golf course in case someone like discovers it you know 10 years later again so i look at those courses your know, peterborough is like a little community yep. run golf course yep. about three hours away from us um have you played peterborough have you been down have you had i've yeah. driven, uh, past, I've driven I, past. I love i love telling people about peterborough then they they finally go down and they do the grayson road and then they just come back and like how awesome is that you know yeah. i'm like yeah that is it's it's so it's yeah it's pretty wicked i i've only driven past it and i probably wasn't playing a lot of golf when I did drive past it, but I do remember pulling up at the side of the road and going, that's a golf course. It's got fences around the greens. I've only ever seen that in Scotland. And one day I'll get back down there. You know, I don't get a lot of time to get down there, but I will get back down there and do that. And it just it's as close as I've seen to that real sort of Scottishy, linksy type, you know, farmland type golf that I, that exists in, a, in anywhere outside of that part of the world. Um yeah, you're, you, you're right. You know, like people have fun going. You know, there's so much fun to be had at places like that and people talk about it and that's all they come back and, and say that they've had that level of enjoyment. It should exist. There should be more of it. There could be more yeah, of it. There could be it, more it's of it. Just, it it's, whole, it's wholesome. Hmm. It, it's, it's, it's a wholesome way to play golf. But uh, the the attraction of, of improving yourself, um, you know, we, we kind of grew up in a little bit of a narcissistic world and, um, and I can understand, you know, feeding your ego, which golf does a really good job of feeding your ego. You know, you make a birdie and your chest comes out you make two in a row and you think you might need to sign up for the tour in two weeks. Time. Pretty, pretty much. So golf, golf really feeds that ego. So that's, that's probably the challenge for yeah. um, people like myself, like just trying to like um, attract wholesome fun. Um, away from feeding feeding your ego, which um, which is not sustainable. Yeah, um, yeah. I've got I got I got friends that you know were very good golfers, um, and and they loved it because of that that sort of reason. And then after a while, when when the game starts to reach a certain level, reach a certain point, it becomes a little hard. You don't get to feed your ego so often, and then you start to deflate and and you and you. Um, you don't, you don't want to play golf. You sort of, um, yeah, you just, it just becomes a different beast. So, and, and that, that, that's, that's sort of the, the challenge in a nutshell is to, is to make sure that young golfers are having wholesome fun and not just feeding their ego. So the Yodagawa Golf, uh, Yodagawa Youth Club, sorry. Yeah. Is, is there a clubhouse? Yeah. I, 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 like the way I'd imagine it would, it would just be like a, um, almost like a shipping container right that, that if the floodwaters come up they can just pick it up and and put it in temporal storage um yeah it, 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 and that's all it would need to be right like you know a few yeah. a few sets of um they don't really have much of a second hand market in japan so there's probably like um a fair chance of just people discarding their clubs they could probably donate sets you know and you just have sets in barrels for for the youth to pick up and just take a few and away you go. Um, yeah, the whole the whole intention of that is just getting out in green space um, and just, yeah, whacking a ball around. It's probably not going to emulate 
the courses that you know that we know and 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 we play but Mm -hmm. it's it's the same sort of wholesome enjoyment well if i reflect back on some of the most fun times i've had on a golf course you know maybe not on the same ilk that we're sort of describing here but i love the sound of it uh kill spindy you know five thousand yards it's 18 holes but it's minimal bunkers it's five thousand yards uh it's not a driver course but probably the the most fun you can have uh in golf but there's another place and i've probably spoken about it a lot of times in the podcast over the journey but critch island which is very much it's not a sheep farm type golf course but you know it's nine holes it's on a little remote island in the west coast of ireland not many if any bunkers same sort of thing little clubhouse remote is remote and it's just so much fun and you know you really could see plenty of environments where courses like that which have probably one or two grand ground staff could exist and attract a whole new dimension of people because it is mm. in landscapes it's just charming people, yeah it's charming yes yeah, i was about to say landscapes that people want to go and vistas that people want to see so um yeah and that's not withstanding that they have to be in absolute you know iconic locations it certainly helps but i think the concept could be expanded you know in more accessible locations as well absolutely now what's next um Talk us about your the competition entries. Um, let me let us know about the entries into what was the competition called again? Yeah, so that would be the um, Grey Haddock Lido Prize, mm. which uh, is run annually. A little design comp um, set up by the Alistair McKenzie Society, um, where anyone can put pen to paper and, and draw up a uh, a McKenzie styled golf hole. And that's a great little, great little um, competition for everyone. Uh, like I highly recommend, you know, even if you, a lot of people um, lack confidence in sort of drawing, but that's sort of not the purpose. You know, it's, it's the opportunity just to think about golf from a different lens and a different perspective. Um, Yeah. Fun, fun little um, thing you can, you can get together or in my case, like I completely forget about it. And then I've got, you know, 24 hours to quickly just pen something together and send in the mail, um, which tends to happen and, and has um, resulted in a few entries that didn't make it. <laughs> do, you, do you hand draw? Do you do much hand drawing and, and uh, you know, yeah? Yeah, I start all my drawings. I've got a few sketch pads around yeah. um, and they all start with, yeah, the hand, like hand drawn and then normally end up on the computer into renders and, um, go from there. Yeah, yeah right. I think that's just the, it's the best place to start from. Yeah. So, similar to golf, you know, it's 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 um, it's quite a primitive practice. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good place to start. And 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 don't get me wrong, my like my drawing was pretty haggis. Um, yeah, a while ago yeah. when I like I, I did study art during high school, and then I had a couple of years off, and definitely lost touch of my uh, of of the artistic skills and, and it's definitely a muscle so yeah it's just like all about repetition of that stuff your creative you know insight and bent you know is never far from any of the work that i've seen you you know put your hand to and you know you're wearing we're doing this obviously via zoom so we can catch up and see each other we can't go and play golf at the moment uh, uh we know we could play golf together really I could play golf with your dad easier than I could with you because he's, he's in my local government area down the road, so I could probably catch up with him. But you've got a hat on there. It's got a brand on it that I'm not familiar with, only from the last sort of 48 hours or so, called Pennant Brothers. 
Talk to me about Pennant Brothers. Yeah, so um, Pennant Brothers is a little uh, merchandising brand that's coming out of Melbourne. Uh, we're looking to sort of uh, strip back sort of golf merchandise to something that's a quality product at an affordable price and showcasing the golf course rather than a golf brand. So that's that's our intention. So we're going to just work within the, the golf uh, the golf shop space. Um, yeah, so kind of watch this space. Um, by the time this comes out, we should be live. Uh, so we're beginning with the basic slouch hat, um, the golf hat. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% wash cotton, very comfortable. Um, of course, like just sort of clean designs, something you can actually wear on the course, but also um, you wouldn't look out of place off the course as well so yeah that's that's uh, pendant brothers um yeah pretty happy to land on that name we we're surprised that no one had sort of taken that one yet yeah. um pendant, pendant culture is quite quite big in melbourne so um it's quite nice to have that sort of relationship and yeah it's a subsidiary of Sandbuilt studios um which is our other other work so what it then does is um sort of create what we intended to do in the first place, which was branding and merchandising. So Sam built is the branding and then the merchandising is the, the actual final product itself. So there are golf clubs that don't need branding work, Mm -hmm. but actually might, might benefit from our um, merchandising side. So that they can sort of skip the Sam built side and and head into the pendant brothers. So we probably skipped over Sam built and went straight to pendant brothers, but Sam built is, is your business, which you're, um, as you mentioned, branding. So what's the, the goals and objectives of Sandbuilt? Yeah, so Sandbuilt is to is a studio that's intended to um, make golf more approachable from a design aspect. So it it, it doesn't really, we, we're, trying, we're trying not to give it any boundaries to Sandbuilt. Um, so no job is too big or too small as long as it's within the design lens. So um, my business partner, he has a background in fashion and in graphic design. And then my sort of architecture background um, brings and sort of my experience in the golf industry brings this sort of um, good little combination, um, which has led to, yeah, helping uh, whether it's established new golf brands, um, helping existing golf brands, helping golf clubs, which is, I think, our main focus is trying to help golf clubs rebrand mm-hmm. um, because that's actually quite an, an affordable um, cost for golf clubs to make themselves look fresh and rejuvenated and, and hopefully bring in um, new forms of revenue and also new golfers into the game just by just style and design. It's yeah, it, it seems it probably sounds a lot complicated. I've probably made it sound a lot more complicated than this, but it, all it is is just putting um, yeah, nice designs into reality and into practice. Well, I'm sure some of the listeners have, are familiar with Sandbilt, but if you aren't, you should go and check it out on Instagram and you'll see some great works. And I was going to ask you about the um, – what do you call it? The logo bingo or the 
Oh yeah, the, yeah, the logo mashup bingo. The logo, yeah, logo mashup. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. was that another one of those epiphanies? And you're sitting back one one night, maybe with a, a glass of uh, that fine scotch that you've got there, and had had an idea to mash up logos of some of the most significant clubs on the planet. Yeah, yeah, it, um, yes, yeah. <laughs> it very much sort of came to mind, and yeah, fun little project of just trying to. Un- For us, it was more of an exploration. So I was trying to understand like what makes those logos the best in golf um, and, and the brands themselves. So um, I know so well known um, compared to others. So yeah, yeah it was, it was actually more of a design exploration um, than anything. And also trying to uh, appropriately um, appropriate the, um, the designs themselves. So uh, yeah, we like, uh, un- we understand copyright and that pathway, but this is just, um, yeah, this is just trying to bring new life and new artwork and trying to um, represent them fairly and honestly. Yeah, so there's there's some pretty cool mashups there. Um, you might recognise some of the logos. We tried to um, create ties between the two of them. So I know one of them was, um, I need to rename it actually. Uh, and it, it's, I'm titling it Dukesville, which is um, the Dukes Club yeah. and Waterville, yeah. which were sort of neighbouring golf courses in Ireland. Um so mashing those two logos together was pretty fun. Um, yeah, did some sort of um, famous ones in the States, um, which I'm hoping to not offend anyone. Um, of <laughs> that's not the intention. <laughs> no, and I think it's pretty clear once you have a look at it that it's just a bit of, you know, a bit of fun. Um, but, you know, you've obviously got a serious part to it to show people, you know, what you're capable of creatively, which I get. Has any of the courses slash brands that you've you know reinterpreted reached out to you and said yeah okay yeah <laughs> oh no no oh, no not not in a bad I'm, thing. Not, I'm pretty sure St- sandwich liked our stuff which was pretty cool it was pretty random yeah. um and maybe one of the other pro shop maybe the lithium yeah the, the lithium pro shop uh yeah it's pretty hard yeah it was, it was pretty popular um and it was really cool just talking about it um because there are there are some logos that we did like lithium for example there's just too much going on. It's too busy a logo, but yeah. if you strip back their branding, it's a, it can be something really strong. So that, that was actually quite a, kind of a powerful one. We, what did we match? We matched Lytham with, uh, and Montreux Peninsula country club. Um, yes, yeah, so that was a pretty popular one. So yeah, it's quite interesting. Um, yeah. If, if, if a club feels offended, I'm, I'm happy to take him down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, like I, I, I'm pretty certain we're not doing anything illegal or wrong. <laughs> I, hopefully, uh, it's intended with the um, you know the design fund that uh, it was produced with. What do you think about this growing level of artisan golf culture? Obviously, fits in with you know your vision of as we discussed before golf and accessibility. It seems to it, it's definitely growing. So, you know, do you think that will rival traditional golf? apparel brands or you know what do you what do you think how do you think what's your vision for that there's definitely like a a, it's a more loyal community we're finding yeah um than the transient community of the um contemporary or mainstream um golf world so generally when people sort of come into this world they stay which is which is neat yeah and so it's just 
it's about creating content that will keep people engaged is kind of important i think um and will it challenge it yeah look i i think that the like especially in sort of instagram tiktok culture we've got um a world where influencers actually do a decent amount of influencing mm-hmm. um and i think that it's all it's almost already becoming that way but i think it's going to become more apparent going forward that um influencers will have more mark they'll be more marketable than uh professional golfers but that's not due to the individual of the professional golfer but it's that that world is becoming um less attainable and less desirable to the mainstream so yeah i I, i'm look if i had to hedge my bets one way or the other i'd be probably putting my money on the that influencer world but i think what's going to be important is having the right um influences at front and center so um one of yeah that one of those people that i think you're referring to as champion the cause who's very visible back on the pga tour this year and and i think you're reasonably close to and maybe have done some work with is zach blair zach blair sorry you know you're pretty close with zb how'd you how'd you meet zach a good buddy of mine um at kingston east simon dick um and i were fortunate enough to host the no laying up boys and um featuring zach blair so that they're also pretty tight um together so yeah the the rival podcast um no laying up and and zach blair i've got a bit of a relationship so we were able to take him around kingston heath and then um took some of those boys um into the city for a little bit for um a few drinks and a bit of a chat yeah, and, and got to sort of meet Zach a bit better there and, and kept in contact uh, online, which is great because I think we, we both love architecture and I love seeing the courses that he goes out and plays. He's, for lack of a better term, like he's, he's, he's a golf geek and he just loves to go out and experience golf and he's living the best life at the moment. I think a lot of people that follow him are probably am, am very envious of what he does, you know, playing you know, the tour Thursday to Sunday and then Monday, Tuesday he goes to play a course close by and, and he, you know, sells really cool merch through the Buck Club and he just does he just does whatever he wants. He's sort of got this free spirit to him, which um yeah, it, it's creating a fair bit of chaos in that space. Um the, the, the so bu- yeah, he's he's gonna be an interesting one to watch. Zach Blair, especially I think post tour career when he just is able to spend more time so what's um, a, putting what, his mind to things because he's 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 one who I think is an underrated creative. Like he's got a really good creative mind. Oh, I, I think if you followed any of the Buck Club stuff, yeah, you can clearly see that. You know, like he he must he must sell a truckload of that sort of gear. What, what what's the concept behind the Buck Club? There's a there's a reason behind it. He, you know, he like wants to he does he want to build one of these type of artisan type golf courses like his, like what we've been talking about. Yeah, I think so. I don't know how it like actually started for him, but I actually enjoyed it when it was actually like this fictitious golf club that had the best pro shop merchandise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of showing up like the actual golf retail world. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, it was, it was setting a really cool trend in that sense, but yeah, um, it could be, yeah, it could be something special. So yeah, he has found, I believe he's got a site. Um, 
and they're just sort of scheming at the moment. So, um, yeah, we've hopefully might hopefully we'll be producing some perspective drawings for him. Mm-hmm. So I've I've kind of seen sort of different routing ideas. I've got his kind to a plan. I kind of look through um, the the current topography and landscape and just try and picture myself being there and seeing sort of those plans and trying to put it all together. So I'm knocking up some sort of perspective drawings um, that aren't, they're not like realistic, but they're more, um, yeah, like explorations and sort of engaging um, in a very dramatic way. But yeah, um, he, I think he might be, yeah, I think he might be on to actually creating something tangible here. So um, I hope so. It seems he's got a, he's got a really big following, um, which is really, really cool. So yeah, another sort of person to sort of keep an eye on. Well, I love seeing him back out there on tour and, you know, when they get back into full swing, I love, you know, he's, he's been the, before the lockdown, I guess, you know, he went, he was a few results where he was going, okay, but it's just great. He's just a cool guy out there on tour. He's a bit different. He's not your, your typical athlete type guy. And you know, he's got the long, well, I think he's cut his hair, but he had the long hair and he just doesn't hit it overly far and just, Plays that pure form oh, of golf, you know. Hit, hits one. the ball nowhere. I'm pretty sure his nickname when we hosted him, his nickname was T193, which was um, his number on the tour for dis- average distance. Yeah, 193rd in tour in driving <laughs> distance. <laughs> which, which uh, I just, yeah, yeah, poor bugger. Now, in terms of your but own. But clearly got game. Oh, absolutely. And on a number of levels. In terms of your own work, and talking about that architecture and design, if a golf course was listening to this and they were looking to do some work and they reached out to you and said, young fella, come up and give us your ideas, is that something that you would entertain? Is that where you want to look towards looking at? Yeah, I'd entertain that idea, of course, but um, I'd, I'd, I'd warn them first because there's, there's, there, there is that like I, – and I, I kind of want to keep – keep it going for as long as I can and that sort of free spirit, like fire at the hip, gung-ho yeah. attitude that I've got at the moment, especially in like that golf architecture world where um, well, that's like what my opinions, my opinions mean very, very little at the moment. So I can kind of, yeah, I can kind of have a bit of a free speech. Yeah. So that'd be, that'd, man, yeah, it'd be pretty, it'd be pretty um, cool to sort of even just help consult some golf clubs that I can just immediately save them um, money, time, you know, maintenance, like just instantly just just by shifting perspective and just a sh- like tiny little just changes that um, can make a world of difference to certain golf clubs. Well, I think if you're listening from a golf club and, you know, you're looking for someone that could deliver value, you know, you just listed off the, the key things that, you know, would be or should be important to any golf club at the moment, you know, saving efficiencies and, you know, building a better product for the members to get, you know, more people on the course, um, get some more revenue out of, you know, green fee players. But that those efficiencies that, that a lot of golf clubs, I was listening to someone this morning talking about trees and overplanting and that sort of thing and just the, the inefficiencies that it creates and just keeping the golf course at its most pristine level all the time just by... Um, Letting a, a, a rogue member went out and planted some trees and thought it was a good idea back in the 50s and it's just created a whole plethora of 
not only design challenges but just maintenance challenges and just makes a for um made a lot of double the work anyway i was just i asked you that question because i thought you know like the free-spirited nature you know wanting to be very creative and take control versus you know the job part of you know someone coming up to and saying hey we, we think that we could help us over here but we've got this existing product we need to maintain some of its integrity can you add something to that and i just thought i'd ask that sort of question well it's like yeah that, that's kind of what we're hoping to achieve through sandbuilt is actually something tangible that we can show for being like yeah we, we can produce results you know yeah. we're yeah we're, we're not just sort of um we're yeah, just doing we're not we're, yeah we're not just sort of throwing out outlandish ideas we're actually um putting things to practice so oh, and that's um, that's what we're talking here mate because i absolutely see that vision and know that in the near future that that, that it will become a reality for you and if this little podcast of you know at the moment fifty eight minutes gets some level of interest somewhere, that's uh, that's great. But I just know that that will happen because the work that I've seen you put out is is fantastic, both on a creative level from your your branding uh, perspective and the the Pennant Brothers, but you know the drawings that you've created for the, the competitions and the work that you've done, absolutely fabulous, mate. Absolutely fabulous. What so? Where else? Anything else that we need to touch on, mate? Oh no! I'm, 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 I was just enjoying. It. <laughs> no, oh, I, was, me, me, me I was getting all up. embarrassed and all. Oh, I was sort of yeah. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> no, I was bigging you up, uh, but uh, it's well deserved. No, don't. Um, no credit where credit's due. You know, I actually don't know how old you are, Nicholas. How old are you? Uh, Twenty-five. You know, for a young man, your your levels of achievement so far have been very good, and your the future is bright for you. And uh, and I look forward to to watching it, and you know. Sitting back as an old fella going, Nicholas Mills, golf philosopher. You heard him on yeah. the mic. Harry Colt, I think, um, he first helped design Ride when he was 25 years old. There you go. So I I've, I've, haven't got many weeks left. I'm, I'm <laughs> under the pump. <laughs> no, well, it's, um, mate, it's all ahead of you. And I'm sure, as I said, you will achieve great things. Is, if there's, You've got any questions for me? Is there anything else we should talk about? Well, I... I could always talk about like sort of the go- the golf retail world. Um, Far away. What, what sort? What sort of? Um, what trends are you sort of seeing come into um, the mainstream golf retail world in the last twelve months? I like it. Now you're interviewing me. I like it. I, I always perform better when someone else is interviewing me. It's only happened twice, but I, I get a bit more relaxed. So I'm going to sit back in my chair. Yeah, it's a good question, Nicholas. It's a good question because. Let me talk about the last, I guess, four months, you know, since this COVID period has um, hit and it's really brought a wonderful focus onto the game of golf. Uh, if there's a downside to things, there's an upside to things and golf has experienced an upside because so many sports have been impacted by um, COVID-19 where they can't play or they can't do it safely so they just can't play. So golf is... It's a pretty safe sport. It's out there in the open doors and whether it's in fours in some states or twos are currently in Victoria, it's just brought a whole heap of attention. So I've seen a number of young people, guys and girls, coming into the area that I'd work in looking to get into golf. And the, and the guys that you know are probably you're talking to through your mediums as well and just wanting to play golf and play it efficiently 
Um, they don't want to overinvest. Some people have, but they just want to get into golf because they know that they've got friends out there doing it. So that's the last four months. Before then, you know, you've seen the interests in golf grow, you know, and we're both friends and, and fans of the work of Eric, for example, Eric Anders Lang. You know, and his work is bringing a whole new set of eyeballs to the game of golf and making it, presenting it in a more attractive and presenting it in an easier-to-do way. So we've seen people come through that sort of landscape and, you know, you're involved in that through what you do and you're, you're creating your own interest, levels of interest as, as am I trying to, as a, a whole heap of other people do. So I've certainly seen a growing number of people come to the game in the last 12 months. The COVID period has lifted it, skyrocketed it, for a fact. Um, but on an equipment level, you know, the manufacturer is still pushing, you know, the envelope, trying to make, you know, the next model better than the last model and the last model than the next model and, you know, having their ambassadors be able to endorse that and promote that and tell us that they're getting faster, more ball speed, more distance, etc. You know, the, the ball companies are doing the same, you know, they're, they're re-engineering, you know, five-piece, four-piece, three-piece, graphene, you know, you name it, they're using a whole heap of different technologies to try and get more spin, more distance, more straight. I don't see any of that going away. And until until we go to like a bifurcation type scenario in the pro the pro game is is one game and, and the amateur game is sort of the amateur game, you know, everyone's chasing chasing the share of the pie. And it's good that the pie now seems to be growing from where we sit because at the, before it wasn't growing. So the, the mouths in the pie were eating from a pie. There was more mouths in the pie and the pie wasn't growing enough to feed all of the mouths. At least now we've got a little bit of traction and there's the pie's getting a bit bigger. So hopefully, you know, the mouths in the pie can, can feed and, you know, make for better investments in, in the game. Does that answer your question, Nicholas? Uh, well, it can't, yeah, no, no, it's good. Uh, you've actually touched upon another question I want to ask you. Right. Um, so you're talking about the golf ball technology. Mm. Is there currently a ball on the market that can um, that can break down? As in biodegradable? Correct. Uh, not in a retail sense. I, I've, I know um, a, a chap... Uh, Adrian Burt, and he does a lot of the uh, events and he was responsible for putting the um, event for the President's Cup where they hit the ball from the crown into the river. Mm, Into the river, yeah. yeah. And he contacted me and said that very question, where do I get balls that float firstly and then secondly do they degrade? And there there are are available. Now, I don't know how they hit relative to... um, a real golf ball, but I think there are balls that you can hit into the water and they will degrade. Mm. A, yeah, a, there's those ones. In, you know, there's not ones yet that are, that, yeah, that are, that are performing to, like they don't even need to perform like that close to the, that level But because, you know, that's why we're going to handicap. Like I'm, I'm personally happy to sacrifice, you know, I'm happy to sacrifice half a dozen shots to my handicap if I've got a ball that, that if I lose it, I know it's just going to yeah. probably break down into the earth. Um, yeah. But yeah, there, there's there's a, yeah there's a lot there's an alarming amount of 
unsustainable products at the moment um, in golf. And it's like, I don't, I, I don't know if there's any in the market. I'm trying to call out to people who could help um, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I think that that could be the next um, could be the next movement. I definitely like could be the, the next attractive. You know, I, like I know that sort of our generations grown up to be very environmentally conscious and yeah. um, the, the sort of generation below, below me are, are very, are very similar minded. Um, environmentally friendly is, is quite sexy. And um, I think there's a lack of that presence currently oh. um, in that commercial space. So I don't, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I was just, I, if, if you've got any idea, I guess. No, I don't, but you're a hundred percent right. Because, you know, I just reflect on, and my my own son, who is you know five years younger than you, and you know I don't spend heaps and heaps of time because he comes and goes between two houses. But as he grows into a young man, uh, I am flummoxed by the level of sensitivity he has to the environment, level of sensitivity that he has to you know a lot of the current affairs that um, are going on. Which to me, I sit back and go, wow, you know, and that's a reflection of his generation and you know somewhat up the tree to your generation, as you um, point out. So I'm, you know, down the track and I'm just one of the old guys that just grabs a Pro-V or a Chrome Soft or whatever and whacks it and loses it and, you know, gets frustrated and probably doesn't give the consideration that you clearly are and the younger generation are of when that ball gets lost in the grass, what happens to it? I I've, you know... I just hope I go and find. If I can't find my own, I find someone else's. Yeah, that's my that's my level of you know recycling. I just want to pull you know go in with a net net zero, and that's a yeah. That, that's, that, that's actually a really good practice, and I, I want to highly encourage those people. I think those people kind of get uh, looked down upon. You know, oh, you know, you're picking up you know the second hand ball. You know, you, you know, yeah, you know, if you you know, you you tr- struggling for money or you know, they're trying to pick on you a bit, but it's like. Ah, that, that that's actually you're doing a responsible job there. Yeah, using the. Hey, when the golf shop owner, when the golf shop owner wants to find a ball, so he comes out with a net zero. You know, maybe it's my Scottish nature, mate. Uh, I'm just tight. <laughs> I don't know, but um, nah. but yeah, you, you you're right, mate. You you touch on a, a thing that oh, well, I'm not qualified to give the answers on. I just know that you know the level that you're clearly thinking is probably not the same level that I'm thinking. My generation, or maybe even the generations below and definitely up above me, uh, think you know maybe they think a little bit more in the golf course and the built environment and, and the levels of sustainability that can be influenced there. And I think the bigger changes can be, there can be dramatic Im- improvements and changes there. I, I can't, not qualified to say what they are, but I, I just know from talking to people that, you know, that is a reality and that, that is a very topical, but yeah, you know, certainly in equipment, you know, I can't sell a lot of sustainability, you know, bags, grips, shafts, all of the componentry and everything else, I, I don't think there's a lot of consideration around it, to, mm. be, on, to be honest. I don't want to get in well, trouble with any of my uh, brands, but uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think the, like the one sort of comment that I have is that the, the mainstream street, street culture influences mainstream culture. Yep. And golf culture, like the golf mainstream culture, always is two or three years behind mainstream culture mm-hmm. and the the current street culture so if i can go a bit back ahead 
the current street culture is definitely moving towards that sustainable bias, but not just the, the sustainable bias, but the um, bias of um, creating more permanent solutions and more um, permanent design. Um, that is, you know, more, probably, yeah, it's more expensive, but will last a longer time. It's, it's moving away from that fast fashion. Mm-hmm. And there is an opportunity where golf, where the golf culture can actually ca- now play catch up, like can catch up quite quickly because we have the frameworks in place, I think, to quickly move with street culture, which then can move with mainstream culture, which can then bring new golfers into the game. So I'm I'm hoping that I'm sitting here, you know, middle of the year in 2020, that I hope that like in 2021, 2022, um, golf culture is right in line with the current street culture, which yeah. is pushing mainstream culture. Um, that, I, that's yeah, and that, I think that's where it comes from, like sustainability. Do you have design. Do you have some example? I have I do have actually a mainstream golf brand um, example that I can cite, and it's the Adidas and the and their work with Parlay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and they're trying to. That that's an interesting one to bring up actually, because like they're they're into golf, like the the the, the people behind that brand, the Parlay guys, yeah, people. and they did a really good job of the um the Wimbledon collaboration. They also did a really cool one with Juventus, right? Um, I can't re- I can't remember it. Yeah, but, uh, I I just... they did they did they did one for a, a football team, but yeah, they they did dip their tone. That that was that was kind of cool, but I think the. The brand that comes to mind for me is like a brand like Nike ACG, mm-hmm. which is slowly growing um, in strength. So that's sort of branched off from the Nike SB, which is the Nike skateboarding yep. division, um, and has created this sort of environmentally biased, um, yeah, branch to Nike, which I think is pushing trend um, and. And not, and I'm not just saying like that specific brand is the that you can tell that they're inspired by other um, other brands in the same elk, if you like, yeah. or industry. Yeah. Um, but that that movement there is like that's kind of hopefully the wave that people should support and get on. And I think will be quite the one to ride. Yeah, Palais Pal- Pal- is an interesting one. They 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 they. they from a graphic standpoint, their, their stuff's pretty cool and it's always trendy. Do you have any other examples outside of the, the what was it, Nike ACG, did you say? ACG, yeah. Um, and I wish I could um, break down what ACG stands for. I think it's like it's, it's got something to do with like a cross or something. It's, it's something to do, it's with a mountaineering kind of vibe, if that makes sense. Yep. It's... Um, yeah, it's it's made for sort of hiking culture, I guess. It's kind of um, so North Face is very popular at the moment. Yep. Um, Architerix, uh, I can't pronounce that one properly, but yeah, the Arc-terics, that one's yeah, yeah it's made its way like that. That yeah. uh, Patagonia, Patagonia's become a part of street culture, um, which is pretty cool. Carhartt, um, Carhartt Whip, yep. which is um, that's just workwear stuff that's meant to be really durable and rugged um and they, they just do like really nice basics they're, they're they're the kind of stuff that's um 
So I'm assuming, you know, with your knowledge of these brands, they they are doing things on a more sustainable level. Is that what you're saying? Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Well, you're, that, 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 that's, current, that's where street culture is currently sitting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the, by the way that the trends have gone with, with the golf mainstream culture, we might see that in four years' time yeah. if we're lucky. And what we'll see is probably a half-hearted effort at it, um, whereas we've got the potential if we just get right on it. And um, and that's what, you know, what's what Sam built will try and do. And I know that there's, um, you know, I, I know that Melbourne, you know, that they'll, they'll be trying to do the same thing and um, the other brands out there that are very similar. Oh, Wim, Wim Golf in Chicago, that they're, there's some really cool um, creatives coming out of Chicago mm-hmm. um, that are worth getting. Wim W H I M. They're 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 a part of that sort of. They're very much amongst the the streetwear culture, and they're just people who are trying to do it for golf as well. So, um, yeah, it, it it'll happen. But I just yeah, I'm I'm sick of golf trailing, um, you know, the mainstream culture by three years because it because it. It, it always doesn't it just doesn't help our stigma already yeah no it's a it's a great point you're, you you're right you know with with golf being well you know we could sit here and talk for hours mate with golf being yeah, sorry, you know yeah. with, with no but i'm just saying no, let me say, with, with with people thinking that golf in a green space environment takes up too much space relative to you know public land and availability of public land and you know you look at courses in brisbane that are being closed or because the council want to reclaim some of that and give it back to the whole population not just the golf population so yeah there is that stigma that that comes along with being a golfer that we're taking up too much green space for relative to the amount of people we could talk about winter park and we could talk about some of the other uh, projects that i've named escape me at the moment but they're building sort of a community-based golf hub you Mm. know where there's walking park where there's dog park where there's you know kids park and golf park all part of the one community things like that you know take away that onus on golf well you know you guys over there golfers you've got all that space but we're struggling over here um so you're exactly right you know we we by our own nature in the game sometimes get a little bit of under pressure from a bad rap and you know what you're talking about there is the work that you're doing influencing influencing up and i'm all for it you know, if if the big brands can learn from people like yourself, and uh, and really consider how they make their products, so people like me make a considered choice rather than just being a little bit on the ignorant side and you know hitting the golf ball and not worrying about it and just saying we'll get another one. And also the you know the gear that we wear and where it comes from and how it's made and and, and some of the inputs, absolutely all for it. I think more power to yourself. And your other colleagues out there in that space that are that are working it, I love it. Well done. Mm. Yeah, and if anyone sort of out there listening that wants to sort of um, just start the conversation with us, like we're always around. Um, we're always on social media, so yeah, we love talking about stuff. We love um, being exposed to just new perspectives. I think it's really important, mate. I think we've hopefully I've hopefully done the job that have let everyone know that you're a pretty open young man and pretty open to sharing ideas and pretty open to receiving ideas and, you know, just want to keep learning at your uh, where you're at. So 
I know that's a genuine invite for anyone to, to, to reach out to you and contact you. Um, mate, it's been great. Yeah, we always talk for way too long. <laughs> no, but I, I, mate, I, I love it. You know, it's like the old fella and the young fella and I just, I love learning and I love, um, you know, I love your insights and I really do appreciate your time and, you know, you, you're, uh, you're a great young man and uh, I really do appreciate your time and, and appreciate the work that you're doing and I love following along and I love seeing the growth in, in you and, uh, you know, your dad's a great fella too, and I've got a cl- golf club over there which he uh, which he gave me, which I'll cherish because it's one that I had when I was a young fella. And um, you know, you've both been very good to me, so I appreciate your time, mate. No, it was really cool hearing about that. Um, and I'm 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 glad Dad was so charitable. I wish he could be the same for me. Oh come on, come on. <laughs> nah, just a little, <laughs> just a little dig right at the end. <laughs> yeah, very good, Nicholas Mills. I'll put everything in the show notes uh, where people can find the work on Sandbilt, the work on Pennant Brothers. Good luck with all of that. Once again, I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. And if you stayed this far, uh, we've... Uh, Props. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. And go and, go and leave us a review. Go over and leave uh, uh, Nick a, um, a like over on his Instagram page and follow all that stuff. Really do appreciate your time, mate. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Russ. See you next time.